The reading is taken from Acts chapter 14, and I'm going to read from verse 8 to 23. In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed and called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Laconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priests of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Laconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and, with prayer and fasting, committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Well, if you have a, a Bible close to you, let's turn together to Acts chapter 14, those verses that we read earlier. We're going to think about this uh, chapter, part of Paul's uh, first missionary journey. Well, one of the things I, I've mentioned this uh, recently, one of the things that I found a, a recent delight in uh, has been rereading uh, the Narnia Chronicles. I, I was encouraged to uh, find a quote from C.S. Lewis as he wrote to uh, someone and said, one day you'll be old enough to read fairy stories again. And, and uh, it seems that that has, has come around for me. And one of the things that is frequently mentioned in the stories is a little phrase, Aslan is on the move. Aslan, of course, is the lion, uh, the Christ figure in the stories. And it's one of our convictions, isn't it, about what is happening in the world today. You won't see it on the news, you won't read it in the papers, but but we know that Jesus is on the move. He is building his church. That is what this period of history is all about. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And what if, if that is the case, what should we expect? As those who are caught up in that story, what does that mean for us? Well, this book of Acts tells us 
Uh, we, we've said before why this story is important. It, it links us between the work of Jesus that's told to us in the Gospels and then the rest of the New Testament, which is largely uh, letters to churches. And, and, and Acts tells us where these churches came from. It, it charts the, the spread of the good news of Jesus, the gospel, uh, from Jerusalem, from the, the early band of disciples uh, to uh, really the ends, well, not the ends of the earth, but, but across the known empire at that time or the known world. And so the book ends with Paul at the heart of the Roman Empire in Rome. And so far in this book, we've, we've seen the launch of the church in Jerusalem at Pentecost through Peter, the growth of the church in and around Jerusalem, and then persecution breaks out. And the church is sort of uh, spread out. It's, it's pushed out of Jerusalem. And the focus moves to other places, one of them being this church in Antioch that sends Paul and Barnabas off. And Paul gets converted as part of the story, the famous conversion experience of Paul. And then we see that the focus moving away from Peter in Jerusalem to Paul and his ministry, especially to the Gentile world. And in this chapter, in the previous chapter, We've seen that uh, Paul and Barnabas are set apart by this missionary-minded church in Antioch, which is in Syria, and they are sent off on a missionary journey. It probably takes them uh, a couple of years. It, it leads them. We've got a map here for those who are uh, keen on, on the geography of the thing. Uh, there's the, the church in Antioch uh, down on the Syrian coast there, and uh, they go uh, via Cyprus, and then up into what we would call southern Turkey today, and uh, they visit places that actually are familiar to both Paul and to Barnabas from uh, their, as it were, their previous life. And as we see them moving through these areas, they teach the gospel, they preach the gospel, and new churches spring up. And whenever we mention that, one of the things that we need to say and underline, especially in our current climate, is that Christianity is a missionary religion, if you like. It, it, Christians are missionary people. The, the world today tends to say to the church and to, to other religions also, well, you can believe what you want as long as you keep it to yourself. I'm sure we've heard that. Now, that, that is, is, is commonly said, but, but genuinely Christian uh, faith is, is a missionary faith. Christians are a missionary people. We see here that people are to be involved in taking the good news to the ends of the earth. Why is that? Well, really for two reasons. One is that Jesus has told us to do it, that the gospel is to be proclaimed to the ends of the earth. But secondly, we know that the world needs to hear that it's not just that if people don't know about Jesus, they are somehow second best, or they, they, they miss out, they're, they're at a slight disadvantage, or whatever it might be. It is that they, they really need to hear the good news of Jesus, because Jesus is the only way for us to know God. So this is, is crucial, that, that Christianity is a, a missionary faith, and we cannot accept it whenever people say, well, you've just got to keep this uh, to yourself. Certainly, Paul and Barnabas were not keeping this to themselves, and they were taking the good news across 
uh, the world. So here we see in these chapters the gospel going forward. Aslan is on the move, as it were. So what should we expect? What should we see? And what we see here is what we should experience to some degree today also. So first of all, three things to say. As the gospel goes forward, opposition arises. As the gospel goes forward, opposition arises. It's a longish chapter. We didn't read it all, but in the first part of the chapter, we find that Paul and Barnabas go to a city called Iconium, and they go to the Jewish synagogue there, and they share the good news. And it says in verse 1, a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. Now, this is a Gentile area. Remember, at that time, there was one great division in all of mankind. It is that you're either a Jew or a Gentile. Jews and everybody else. And here, uh, this is a a Gentile area, but with a a Jewish community, small probably Jewish community. And some of the Jews are are hostile, and they stir up the wider Gentile population against these missionaries. And Paul and Barnabas continue to preach, and and they persuade, and so on. and, And the controversy widens until they hear that there's a plot to do them harm, and they decide to move on. Now, what do we learn here? Well, you see, first of all, what it says about those Jews in verse 2, they are those who refuse to believe. Hear that that description. They refuse to believe. It's not that they've just not understood it, or that they're nearly there, but they've got some things they're hazy on, or there's some questions that Paul still has to answer. No, it's, it's that they refuse to believe. So, so they're, they're, they're saying that it is true and that they say, no, this is not for me. It's one of the things that we've got to understand, that, that ultimately when it comes to the final judgment, there will be another great dividing line through all of humanity. There will be those who, by God's grace, believe, and there will be those who refuse to believe. There, there, there won't be any others. And, and so, if, if we're someone who is, is sort of trying to explore Christianity, we're trying to figure out what all of this is about, we maybe have questions and we're, we're, we are hazy on some things, D- do understand that there is something really important in this, that, that, that it's not just can I believe, but the Bible asks us, will you believe? And these people had refused to believe. Well, we see, too, that they're not content to be alone in their disbelief. They, they want the claims of Christ silenced. It disturbs them that such things are being said. And so they, they band together against the missionaries. It's an unlikely union, these Jews and Gentiles. They are usually enemies, but here they are together against the Christians. And, and what we have got to understand is that, as we were saying to the boys and girls, behind all of this is the evil one's hand. When Aslan is on the move, there is a reaction. It's not an equal reaction, but it is an opposite reaction. When Jesus builds, Satan seeks to tear down. And so this opposition grows, and and it's one of the chief threads that's running through this whole chapter, because you see how the chapter ends towards the the end of it. It says that they had gone back, and they'd spoken to the the disciples already, and and in verse 22, it says that we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. So Satan can't get at God, but he can get at God's people, and he does. And when God builds, 
Satan seeks to tear down. When, when Aslan's on the move, there, there's opposition. So, so if you're a believer, don't be surprised that if, as you set your heart to live for the Lord, as you seek to make progress in your faith, as you seek to bless the church and witness to the world, there's opposition. The Bible tells us we should expect it. Don't be surprised, too, if, if you're trying to, to find out the truth about Christianity, if you're on that journey to sort of explore all of this, that all sorts of obstacles just seem to, to bounce into your way. The Bible tells us we should expect it. As the gospel goes forward, opposition arises. Second thing to, to say here is that as the gospel goes forward, worthlessness is exposed. Paul and Barnabas uh, leave Iconium, and they come to this uh, city called uh, Lystra. It's about 20 miles uh, along the road. And they come across a, a lame man. Somehow, you see, Paul uh, sees that he has faith, and he tells him to stand up. And uh, in a moment, he's on his feet, and he's walking. It's a remarkable miracle. Now, if we had been reading Acts from the beginning, we would feel as if whenever we heard this story, we had sort of heard something like it a little bit uh, before. And that is because in the early chapters of Acts, Peter does something very, very similar. There's a lame man at the beautiful gate, and Peter heals him in the same sort of way. In fact, the story is told in the same sort of terms. You remember in that case, the man goes walking and leaping and praising God according to the chorus. So, so, so the mission amongst the Jews in the early part of Acts has this healing of this lame man. And now the mission amongst the Gentiles, not with Peter, but with Paul, has the healing of a lame man. And Luke is selecting this story because there's many things that seem to have been done like this. But he's selecting this story to tell us it's the same mission. God is at work amongst a different people, but at work in the same way. He is building his church across the world, and all nations will be part of it. Well, at this miracle, there is an unusual response from the crowd. They speak in their own language, so Paul and Barnabas don't understand initially what is going on. But they have come to believe that these two missionaries, Paul and Barnabas, are two of uh, the Greek gods, Zeus and Hermes, that they are walking amongst them. And before you know it, they've gone down the road and found a priest of Zeus and a bull and uh, whatever garlands that they need to use to put on the bull for a sacrifice. And they're ready to sacrifice this bull to uh, Paul and Barnabas because they believe them to be these two Greek gods. Now, this all seems hugely unusual, but it turns out that in this area, there had been a, a well-known tradition and story that actually Ovid writes about, Greek historian or Greek writer, uh, that, that in the past, Zeus and Hermes had indeed come into this area in, and they disguised themselves in human form. And they had visited a thousand homes seeking hospitality, and everybody had turned them away, except for one uh, household. And, and, and so they, what they do is they, they really bless that household, and that household uh, gets uh, lots of property and so on. And all the thousand homes that uh, they were turned away from are destroyed. 
So this is very much in the thinking of the people that Paul and Barnabas are visiting. And whenever they see this miracle done, they say, goodness, Zeus and Hermes have come back. And remember what happened last time. A thousand people lost all their stuff. We better not lose all our stuff. We've got to treat them kindly. And so that seems to be what's going on behind uh, this story. So the people come and they think, we're going to do this sacrifice just to be on the safe side. And when Paul and Barnabas understand what's going on, they are absolutely distraught. They make every effort to put the people right. You see, in in verse 15, it says, men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. We are bringing the good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. It's interesting, by the way, that uh, when a, a Jewish person is mistaken for a God, this is the reaction that they have. That's an awful thing to say, they say. That's, that's really blasphemy. You, you, you cannot attribute us any divinity. And yet when Thomas falls before Jesus, you remember, and says, my Lord and my God, what does Jesus do? He takes that. It's an indication that he truly is a God, the Son of God. Well, anyway, Paul and Barnabas struggle to a, a, a make it to, to, to stop these people um, a sacrificing to them. And as they, they take this opportunity, they, they preach to them. They, they begin to preach the, the message to them. We probably don't have all of the message. But you notice that they, they particularly do it in, in a certain way. When they are with Jewish people, they, they tend to refer to the Scriptures and they make their arguments from the Bible and so on. But here they are with people who have no record of the Bible, no understanding of it. And so they do speak about the reality of God and his kindness to them, but they argue from creation. They say, look at all the things that there are around you. This is the God that we're talking about who's made all of this. And you should know that he is good because he has given you so many good things into your lives. You've got food. You've got uh, things all around you that you're grateful for. Uh, this approach is, is more developed. Uh, we look at it again whenever we come to Acts 17 and Paul is in Athens. But you'll see that there is this difference depending on, on who Paul is speaking to. And maybe it's something that we have a sense of with our, with our own friends. If we're chatting to people who are not uh, yet believers, there are some who perhaps have a church background and we can, we can talk to them about the Bible. They have a deep respect for it. They believe it to be true. But there are others, and and in a sense, we need to start further back because they haven't accepted that common ground. But they do know that they live in a world that God has made, and they do sense that there are many things in their lives that are blessings, and perhaps some of the things that Paul says we might want to say too. Well, the point, however, that we need to notice here is that these are not people who are unspiritual. They have a a keen sense that they are not alone in the world, as it were, that there is something else there. The world is not all that there is. Uh, And this belief that they have, that there are spiritual forces within the world, is, is sincere, no doubt. It is 
personally costly to them. They, they make sacrifices. They, they order their lives around these things. And yet, we see that they're absolutely wrong. Paul tells them that they are being called away from these worthless things. I'm, I'm sure you've not been able to escape this week the publicity around Harry and Meghan's book, uh, Spare. I think we could start an interesting argument if we decided to uh, vote as to what side of this argument we were particularly on, but uh, they have certainly dominated the headlines this week. And I, I, I noticed one uh, little reference in some of the papers as to one of the things that uh, was revealed, whether it was in the book or in some of the subsequent interviews, I'm not too sure. But it was when Harry and Meghan were trying for a, a, a child, and Harry placed a little lock of his mother's hair beside the bed, believing that somehow his, his mother would, would help them in the conceiving of this child. So, so we've got to know, don't we, that, that we live in a, in a world where it is acceptable, even fashionable, to believe a, a whole host of things, many of them, we'd have to say, irrational and contradictory. But everybody believes something. Everyone has, has faith in something, whether it be a, a log of hair at a bedside or that if you do good, good will come back to you. Everyone has faith in something. But when, when the gospel comes in, it exposes that so many of the things that we believe in that we are putting our trust in are ultimately worthless. Paul in verse 15 says, we're telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God. And some of our friends, maybe some of us, believe in lots of things rather than the living God and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and it's ultimately worthless, not because it doesn't shape our lives or not because perhaps it doesn't even bring us some hope or joy, but actually because it's without foundation. It doesn't link us to the God who made everything, the God who sent His Son into this world. It's painful for for us to realize, maybe some of us remember a journey that we've made to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and it was painful for us to realize that there were things that we were relying on and leaning on that were ultimately worthless. But it's what the gospel does. It causes us to turn from all else, every other pretender, to the Lord Jesus. As the gospel goes forward, worthlessness is exposed. And the last thing to say, just in a word or two, as the gospel goes forward, its servants suffer. <clears throat> because Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas, we see, are treated dreadfully in Lystra. Uh, the Jews come and follow them there, and they orchestrate a stoning, and Paul is dragged out of the city and left for dead. Now, don't let's pass over that too quickly. You've got to be in pretty bad shape to have been stoned and left for dead, stoned to the extent that people think you've gone and dragged at a, at a distance. And yet in verse 20, he goes up and he goes back even into the city. There's 
They move on, there's fruit in, in Derby, and then they retrace their steps. They encourage the young churches on their way back. These churches are only months old. They appoint elders, uh, and, and yet in, in Paul's mind, it looks as if there's only two things necessary for these churches to be established and to survive. One is that they are uh, faithful to the truth, um, to the preaching that they've been given. So they're faithful to the apostolic message. And the second is that they have elders we're meant to have shepherds over us in the church. So with the truth of the gospel and with elders, Paul believes these churches will be okay. But you see the message that he, he uh, highlights with them. There will have been other things, but this is what Luke uh, underlines for us. Verse 20, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. How, how did we ever, this is so obvious, isn't it? How did we ever take this and so twist it with, uh, uh, that the appeal of Christianity is heard by some people as to say something like this, come to Jesus and all your problems will go away. How did we ever do that? That certainly would not have washed with the people that Paul spoke to, would, would it? Because there he was, covered in scrapes and bruises. He bore the scars of following Jesus. And you see, we've got to know, don't we? And it needs to be underlined for us so regularly. We've got to know that to come to Jesus' side is to stand with the one whom the world rejects, whom the devil despises. And so we must know that there are many hardships we must know that. Is it worth it? Of course it is. None of us who, who know him here would be without him for a moment, would we? And all of us who have, all who have gone to glory know that every hardship is hardly even worth the name in the light of heaven. So if, if you're a Christian and you've come into 2023 and you're just feeling, goodness, this is hard. Hard to follow Jesus. Brother, sister, press on. Stand firm. It is hard to follow Jesus. But know that this is not a mistake. It is what our brothers and sisters in these early churches were told. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And maybe you think, goodness, this is a bit hard. I would really like a, a tamer sort of Christianity, a sort of Christianity that was therapeutic and, and affirming. Maybe if you're investigating Christianity, you think, goodness, well, this is not for me. I'm going to uh, try the Buddhists. They seem to have a, 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 an easier run. Um, but, you know, there's this fantastic illustration, in, in, again, in Narnia, back to Aslan again, in, in the book of the Silver Chair, um, uh, Jill, there's a girl called Jill. She comes upon Aslan. She's on her own. And she comes upon Aslan in a forest. And he's really quite frightening. But he's sitting at a stream. And she is dreadfully thirsty. And she, she needs to drink. But, but Aslan is at the stream. And if, if she is to come to the stream, she's going to be very, very close uh, to him. And this is how the story goes. Are you not thirsty, said the lion. Oh, I'm dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. 
May I, could I, would you mind going away while I do? Said Jill. The lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. And as Jill gazed at his motionless bulk, she realized that she might as well have asked the whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Will you not promise, uh, will you promise not to do anything to me if I come, said Jill? I make no such promise, said the lion. Jill was so thirsty now that without noticing it, she had come a step nearer. Do you eat girls, she said. I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. It didn't say this as if it were boasting or as if it were sorry, nor as if it were angry. It just said it. I daren't come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh dear, said Jill, coming another step near. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream, said the lion. There is no other stream. The only Jesus that there is, is the one who is bigger than we think. The one who is entirely uncontrollable by us. But he is the one who offers the water of life. There's no other stream. So come to his side. And when you have drunk deeply, say to him, I am with you now. You are building your church. You are the hope of the world. And, and there may be many hardships on the way, but I know that with you, it will be okay. And there is no other stream. There's no other Jesus. Let's pray together.